Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Unstuck Movement. I am your host, Rob Z. This platform is created for you to find the power, the strength, the perseverance to break those chains that have been holding you back from things in your life. So the things that have been holding you down, if you're looking for breakthrough, right, you need to break those chains to pass that glass ceiling, to break through that plateau and get to a new level of breakthrough for yourself. Today, I have an amazing guest on here. And what I love to do is bring guests on who have experienced this great breakthrough in their lives so they can give you an example of what that breakthrough is like so you can have real life, real life proof that it's happened for others so it can happen for you. So from navigating the depths of the ocean as a submariner in the Navy in his 20s to serving God as a preacher from behind a pulpit in his 30s, Daniel Whitworth has journeyed through diverse terrains before settling into the world of online business with his company, Whitworth Workflow Automations, alongside his devoted wife and co-parent of six amazing children. I want to welcome Daniel to the Unstuck Movement. Thank you for being here today. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Really cool to have you on here. We've had a few conversations uh, before this, and I just really enjoy what you do what you do for businesses, but also what you've done with your life and how you've uh, molded your life to where it is today and you've gotten yourself unstuck. And I love to ask a powerful question that leads to powerful answers. And your question is by far the best question I've ever had on the unstuck movement because this question is so good. And I can, when I read it, I was like, man, it speaks to me because I've been there before. Mm. When you melt into the carpet, how do you clean it up? <laughs> <laughs> which somebody might see that question and be like what the heck does what that does that mean? even mean right yeah <laughs> but i so. i read it new right away so talk mm -hmm. about that for yourself what does that question mean for you why were you melting into the carpet and uh, yeah. how has that led to this story so yeah those that have been there know what that means but it, I, I, it was straight up depression i was never clinically diagnosed or anything but it was a time in my life when i literally just felt no purpose no reason for existing no hope for the future, just all that of like, you know, why even go on? Can I just melt into this carpet and just dissolve into nothing? That was kind of how I felt at the time. And so what brought it on? I mean, totally first world problems. But you know what? I always tell people like, you know what? Problems in the first world feel just as real as in the third world. So mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so, yeah, my as my backstory goes, you know, I was in the Navy for a decade. I was a pastor for a decade and then. In 2019, just before COVID hit, um, uh, I stepped out of ministry full time and my wife and I moved. So we did we did three things. I, I completely changed my career. Uh, we moved cities, same area, but across a bridge tunnel that no one ever drives across. So it's almost like I'm in a different state. Um, <laughs> and then we also had our sixth and final baby uh, around that time uh, in 2020. And uh, that uh, any psychologist will tell you that any one of those is a good trigger for depression. And I was like, I can handle three of them, baby, bring them. <laughs> so uh, I do love change, but I think that might have been too much for me. Mm. And so the, the major shift that happened for me that so I, what's cool is like when I, when we talked about this podcast, I went back through my journal to try to remember like all of this stuff, you know, because I'm the kind of person that I like to just put the past behind me and move forward. Just, I don't even like think about it. So I had to like go back and remember these things. And so really it was a, 
a lot of different things happened for me. The, the change in career went from me being a person of authority, of <clears throat> some sort of, you know, influence. I had people that followed me, that listened to me every week as I preached, to suddenly being home, hanging out in my pajamas with six kids that don't listen to a word I say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a major shift of just sense of significance, sense of importance and all that uh, totally flip-flopped there. Um, another thing that was happening, uh, was money was a challenge. So we, I went from having full-time income to now let's try this on our own. And so we did find success eventually, but there was certainly a period of time when it was questionable when we're looking at the, the money running out. And so there's stress. My wife takes on money stress more than I do. But at the time for me, I felt helpless Mm. because it wasn't just that we didn't have money coming is that I wasn't providing any of it. She so just so people know, like when we switched to online business, it was her business. It was a, a nursing tutoring business. She's the nurse. I did some tech in the background, but really it was her. She was finally getting to be the provider to do the work. And I became the stay at home dad of six kids that we homeschool. And so there wasn't even a break in the day when they were gone. And we had a baby, like a brand new baby, which is not my favorite age of a child to take care of. And so, yeah, I, I got stripped of my influence and position, uh, and then I got stripped of my ability to provide my actual feeling of contribution to the family, which, of course, I equated to financial and not the other things that a dad does, right? Uh, and then another, a third thing was changing, and you know, I'll try to keep this PG, but basically, uh, we were six kids in, and uh, I didn't want to have a new one just yet. And so we were trying the whole natural family planning method of birth control, which basically equals abstinence (laughs) for most of the time. And so that was another thing that uh, was usually pretty regular. Six kids, you can guess, right? Um, (laughs) And it became very not regular. And so that source of pride and feeling like a man and all that kind of stuff was also stripped from me. And probably after about the first year of me really trying to change it, like I did a, I did a podcast, I, I was like trying to find speaking engagements, I was doing all kinds of things to try to like salvage this sense of purpose and meaning and really career uh, concept until it really just probably about a year later, just finally just got to the point where I, I, I quit the podcast, I, I even... So Facebook, I unfriended everybody. Like I just went into a literal, it's in my journal. I decided to go into a time of obscurity, kind of like Moses going into the wilderness concept. I think that's where the the idea came from. And so I like completely dropped out of Facebook. Didn't just, didn't just like deactivate my account. I unfriended everyone except for like close family. It's interesting because I don't, I mean, most people just go through and shut their account off. Mm-hmm. The unfriending takes a lot more work. So it had to be much more cathartic to be going through and just yeah. unfriending people. Like, I never talked to this person. Bye, bye, bye. And it wasn't like I didn't like them or anything. It's just like I, I really felt the need to not have an audience. Because that, mm-hmm. that's what I realized is I've been living for an audience. You know, yeah. a church audience, you know, you know, Facebook audience. Like, instead of living in here, I was very much depending on living out there. And I just realized I need to turn that off and focus on me which was probably the the best and worst thing I could do at the time because mm. <laughs> then I had to really face my demons. And that's really, that was probably for the next year. 
So this would be in 2022, uh, really just struggling, struggling and feeling there were literal days where I just, I didn't want to get out of bed, didn't want to do anything, you know, I didn't want to make dinner. I just would, there's a, we have a big beanbag chair in our den and I would just go flop in that with my face down and just like dream of melting into the carpet and if I wasn't doing that, I was watch rewatching the old 1960s Mission Impossible series over and over again because there's no emotional <laughs> commitment to that. And so, yeah, that that was the melting into the carpet period <laughs> of my life. I don't mean to laugh, man, but um, it's some of that really is funny. <laughs> but is. also, but also at the same time, um, this is really I didn't expect this to happen on this episode. Uh, I spent 20 years in broadcasting, right? So I was on radio for 20 years. And when I left radio, uh, coming up on seven years ago, and over the course of the next maybe two or three years leading into the pandemic, I didn't realize you said you needed, you had a need to not have an audience. Mm -hmm. And I've been going through that, man, the past like two years, I really got uh i tried to reinvest myself and I, I left radio and then started the digital marketing company mm -hmm. and so i was like engulfed in like radio so like people speaking and people listening to me and interacting and then digital marketing i was doing uh the podcast there and i was also uh doing lots of videos for people and stuff like that so i was so engulfed in it and i was like man i just I don't want to have this audience anymore. I need to like totally disconnect from all of this. And I'm, I'm leading this into a question for you because what happened was as I, as I totally like this, I, I disconnected from social media three or four times mm -hmm. and I was depressed when I was on social media, but then I was also kind of depressed when I was off of it. And I was like, what is happening to me? Like what, what is going on here? Like, I don't, I feel a desire to not be putting myself out there, but then I also, I'm sad mm -hmm. that I'm not putting myself out there. It was like, like you said, like Moses in the wilderness. That's kind of what it was. Like, what am I? That's when I started this podcast. The reason I started this was I, like, I need to. I know I'm called to make content. I mean, I wouldn't have been in broadcasting for 20 years if I wasn't, right? But it has to be purposeful and it has to have a meaning behind it. It has to have something that will inspire somebody and help them instead of just satisfying and gratifying me. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, it, it just when you were talking about that, it just dawned on me, holy cow, man, that's, I went through that in a, a different scenario, but in a similar way. And, and, and it did lead me through like this period of, of loss in the wilderness and this period obscurity. of depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Obscurity. Mm -hmm. What did the obscurity do for you as you came out of it? Right. Because I know it like took you into this difficult place, but what has it done as you've gone through it? Well, what it really did for me was it forced me to go inside and, uh, just face up. It's like it's it forced me to look in the mirror and nowhere else. And that's mm -hmm. that's hard to do because it's easy, especially when you live in front of other people and you have an audience. It's easy to just be that. Per that's the person that you like to be. It's the person you see in your own video. It's the, it's the voice you hear in your audio recordings and all that kind of stuff. But it's not the real you. It's the person you. Yeah, we, we, we try to be uh, uh, authentic and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, we all know how to make a presentation. When I get on stage and preach, it's it is the real me, but it's also not. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it really forced me to like look in the mirror and realize that I'm not fooling anybody. <laughs> mm. And it was hard. And but I I tell you what brought me out of it. What began the bringing out of it? Because another thing I'd gotten away from is we stopped going to church. Oh, so okay. I was a pastor. I was burned out. Honestly, I was burned out. I was um, 
jaded a bit. Uh, probably had a little PTSD as some, if you've ever been a pastor and then stopped, there's a lot of things about being a pastor that are not very fun um, and not very, you know, people betray you and things like that. But anyway, mm. so um, <clears throat> where I was going with this is that I had basically said, you know, I'm going to take a break from God too. You know, so we, we, funny thing is when we moved, we moved because of a church. I had stepped out of full-time ministry and then there was this church far away. I was looking at joining and ended up stopped doing that because of different reasons and thought, oh, I'll start a home church and that kind of fizzled. And, and so then just started doing, oh, we'll do a thing as a family. And then I got irritated when the kids wouldn't read their chapters. And like, it just, I kept trying to like make church still happen, but not. And, and it finally actually came to a head one day when, um, this is kind of embarrassing. I got real irritated because like no one else was doing anything to set up for church. We did communion and stuff and I just got mad and was like, man, if I don't do it, then no one will. And it felt like I was pastor again. If I don't do the work, then no one else is going to do it. And so I just like stormed out of the house and like drove off. And anyway, that, that kind of changed it. So then Nicole took over the duties and eventually over the while, it just kind of fizzled into nothing. And so we, I wasn't in the word. I wasn't, talking to God. I wasn't in church or anything like that. And so it was really just me and my own misery. And what had happened is, so we had gotten involved in this. So this is kind of a business side thing. So we had gotten involved in this coaching program. So part of that, so going into online business for ourselves involved investing in this coaching program called Flip Lifestyle. Um, and that actually worked really well. Over six months, we grew our business from nothing to making a full-time income with it. Like, very awesome. We became friends with the coach. His name's Shane Sams. And <clears throat> and uh, in, in this community called Flip Lifestyle, there's a bunch of other people that are also starting online businesses. That's the whole point of it is like helping you start, grow, build and grow an online business. And so one of the other members of this community that had been promoted by our friend Shane was a guy that did a, a thing called Real Men 300. And it was an online a uh, men's group, by, you know, ministry men's group. And so uh, I think Nicole had told me about it at one point in time. And she, my wife's awesome. Just, you know, she is a, a saint. <laughs> like she knows how to navigate these things. And she did a great job, honestly, of not pushing me, but also trying to like, you know, nudge just, just enough so I wouldn't get upset and bite back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, she did this Real Men 300 thing. And probably months later, as the, as the depression was just like getting worse and worse, I finally decided, you know what? I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. So I went ahead and signed up. I'm kind of a little bit impulsive about things like that. And just like one day I was like, all right, I'll do it. Bah, 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 bah. Did it, <laughs> you know, paid for it. I'm in. Um, and I started and it, and it started with a 30 day, like get in the word challenge. And I did it. And there was like a journaling process and everything like that. And there was this men's group we met every week. And it was the, just exactly what I needed. <clears throat> just exactly what I need to start. The, it, it, was, it wasn't like an immediate like poof, I'm out of it. It was like it, it was the beginning. It started the process of, you know, getting out of this stuck position. And so, yeah, I definitely credit, and, and, you know, the Lord knows what he's doing and he orchestrates our steps even when we're not paying any attention to it. Right. And mm -hmm. so and now I'm not still in that group. It served its purpose for a time uh, and things like that. But that was the beginning of the un, getting unstuck, getting out of the wanting to melt into the carpet. It was really, I had, what I really had to do, and I'm still doing it actually, 
even a few years later, is I had to basically rediscover my relationship with God. That's <clears throat> what it came down to. Because I had this theology, I had this way of thinking about God that was very much tied into church and preaching and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, I really needed almost this time in the wilderness, I think, to effectively disconnect from that concept of God and my relationship with that concept of God and begin a journey that I still don't think is finished, that probably never will be, is discovering who God really is and what my relationship really is to him. And over the past few years now, since that moment with the Real Men 300, it's gone through many iterations. I've done some different exploring into Eastern uh, meditation kind of stuff. And like I've, I've tried and explored different things to be like, all right, God, who are you really? And I'm still settling on on that question, honestly. But I think that that getting back to the fundamental question <clears throat> that I wasn't asking all that time that I was depressed was God, who are you? And I think that's the that's the fundamental question we all humans have to wrestle with at some point in time. And it, it comes at different phases. It comes in different circumstances. But I think if I really think about it, that 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 fundamental question is the one that I had I needed to God had to put me through something so that I would ask that question instead of assuming mm. I knew the answer. Man, fascinating. That's really really good stuff. And thank you for sharing that. I appreciate also your vulnerability with all this cuz that's really uh you know it's refreshing, nice to hear and and let's let's the audience into like the process because you went into like a lot of the process there of going through all that because you know as you're going through difficult things and and wilderness times in your life it's like am i ever going to come out of this freaking mm. thing like is this ever going to end <laughs> like, exactly why is this happening for such a long period of time but to god you know a, a day is a yeah century or i forget this expression right but thousand years uh, yeah <clears throat> i always you, yeah. looked at moses and like his obscurity time was 40 years 40. And yeah. it's just a sentence. It's a little blurb in, in the Bible. It's just one little line for 40 years. And I'm like, God, don't make mine that long, please. <laughs> and, yeah. And your your 40 years is a sentence, right? That, that, exactly. that period of time is a sentence because you kind of have to go through that. It's not. Yeah. Thinking about that, too, 40 years is interesting, too, because it's like a generation. Mm -hmm. Right. 40 years is like a generation. So to get something out of, uh, you know, maybe like a, a bloodline or something like that, you, it takes a generation to do that. Um, and so yeah. I think for myself also, like, yeah, please don't take me through 40 years of something. But at the same time, <laughs> like uh -huh. uh, just a couple of years can feel like 40 years because I can't I can't imagine what 40 years feels like. Um, OK, so there's a couple of things that I want to ask you. We're going to jump into the sponsor the connected leaders academy okay. here real quick and give jose escobar and the crew a shout out because they've made a huge impact in my life and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what came on the other side of the wilderness the 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 church that you've started right uh mm -hmm. by community and community yeah. community in your neighborhood and discussing how that has impacted your life and those around you so let's do that here in one second Hi, my name is Jose Escobar, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Connected Leaders Academy. We're a growing tribe, a community of entrepreneurs all over the world, globally, all across the country, high performers, titans of industry. If you're an entrepreneur, 
and you're looking to grow personally and professionally, scale your influence, develop your skill sets, move the needle in your business, more clients, more money, more profit, the bottom line, and of course, grow your circle and your network like never before, this is where you want to be. Join the Connected Leaders Academy today. We are scaling massively. We want to welcome you in. Check me out on Instagram and on Facebook, the at symbol JASCO25. We look forward to having you join us. Take care. So we talk about getting unstuck. For you, This one, we were talking before, I was so fascinated by this part of your story that you decided to just build something within your community that would yeah. bring people together. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I want you to talk about it, explain it, because I love the concept and it's amazing what you've done just in your area. Okay, sure. So uh, I got to back up a little bit. So I'm a pastor, right? I spent five years as an administrative pastor, which means I'm running everything, not doing the preaching, but I'm running everything. And then like five years into it, that pastor says, hey, here's the church. I'm leaving. <laughs> it was more than that, but that's a short version. And uh, I become the senior pastor. I'm preaching, I'm preaching. And about two and a half years into that, like five years of the preaching part, um, one of my associates went to this conference in Florida and came back saying that they'd done some demographics and studies and all that and found that our our local area of Hampton Roads, Virginia, which is where I live, um, upwards of 80% of the population is not in church, not in church. And that's actually true of most, you know, larger metropolitan areas is that like a not 50, not 60, but like 80 to 90% of people are just not in church anymore. And you can see it in all the empty churches out there. Yeah. And that just like hit me like a ton of bricks. It was especially because what because when you're in the world of <clears throat> church, you think like, oh, everybody kind of like yes. goes to church. Yeah. <laughs> that number, like that's 80 to 90 percent is like staggering staggering and not only that because when you're working in church like what's your goal your goal is to get people to come to your church and you hold these events and you do all this stuff to be inviting and welcoming and all that kind of stuff and it's like well that ain't working <laughs> that ain't working at all <laughs> and not only that but so i'm an, I'm an engineer actually i'll get into the business stuff later but i'm an engineer by default or my nature and i was like well this ain't working and not only that but it's like well, then how are we reaching those people? And it broke my heart, honestly, which surprised me because I had never felt myself as being a super evangelistic type of person. I was more of like, uh, you know, uh, deal with the people who are believers and help them live right kind of mindset. But it surprisingly broke my heart that we have so many people out there that are just simply not being reached at all. Because guess what? Mm -hmm. The only way us churches know how to reach people is bring them on Sunday morning. Invite a friend, invite a friend, all this stuff. And it's like, it's, they're not coming. They're not They're not, not coming. So how are they going to know about the good news, right? And so that started a journey over the, the, the last two and a half years of my ministry time of just deconstructing in my mind of like, what are we doing? What else is out there? How how are we reaching people? And I had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine and he connected me with his other guy. And, and it turns out there's this thing called missional community, missional community. And so I was like, oh, what's that? And so I started meeting with this guy. He gave me some books to read. And over the course of a couple of years, it, it got basically what missional community is, is instead of setting up a church on the corner and holding services on Sunday, you become a missionary to your neighborhood or your network. And the goal is not, not to get them to come to your church, like straight up not. The goal is for you 
to pretend in a way like you're in a foreign country and you don't have a church to bring them to. Mm. And, and what you can't do is you can't stand on the corner and preach at them. You have to acclimate yourself and become one of them so that you can slowly and slowly influence them by prayer and, and, uh, and love and, and, uh, to ultimately see that they come to know Christ. And the process is like this, is that, you know, Jesus said in John chapter six, twice, he said, no one can come to me unless the father draws them. And no one can come to me unless the father enables them. This is that whole, you know, where he's doing the, the eat my flesh and drink my blood speech. Mm-hmm. And people start leaving and his disciples are like, what's going on here? And he says that to them. And so if that's true, because we believe what Jesus says, then that means there's not a dang thing you and I can do to save anybody. Mm. Not a thing. We can preach perfectly. We can have a most absolutely perfect presentation of the gospel and present it to somebody. But if God has not unlocked their heart and and drawn them to him, it just it won't work because you and I can't change a heart. We can't save anybody. But God likes to use us in the process to be there and available when he does that. Okay, Mm -hmm. And so the whole premise of missional community is not that I go out trying to preach at people. In fact, the topic of God and Jesus and any of that doesn't even come up unless they ask, because that's the other thing in the scriptures. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have when they ask, when they ask, because when they ask, guess what happened? God unlocked their heart and and drew them, right? And it goes right to coaching, too, because, you know, in coaching, there's not really you're guiding people towards answers for themselves. Mm-hmm. You guide them to ask the right questions, to find the right answers for themselves. Yep. You can't force anybody to do anything or figure anything out. So the more that you try to do it, the less it's going to happen. Yeah. It's exactly and, the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So people are only ready to learn when they're ready to learn, not when you're ready to teach. Right. Yeah. And so the, the, what it, so I read some books and met some people and really got to a point where I just could not do the Sunday morning thing anymore. I was like, this is this. I'm just preaching to the choir, preaching to people who've been in church for 20 years and still can't articulate a thing from the scripture because they're used to the passive. I call it the come, sit, listen, and leave approach to church. Come, sit, listen, leave. Maybe you feel something. And I realized that what I'm doing, all this stuff, I'm just entertaining them. Like it's it's no not a whole lot different than watching a TV show. And now you can do your church on TV <laughs> more, you know, more than you could before. And yeah. so it's like, but it has no effect on your daily life. Anyway, I could go on and on about that, but I'm not mm. going to. The, the point <laughs> is, is that I, uh, so yeah, when we moved up to across the water, I felt the, the, I was like, hey, this is a nice neighborhood. It seems very small, you know, uh, it's uh, quiet and, you know, it's not busy and all that kind of stuff. And so I just got it in my head, like, well, the way you do a missional community is what well, you got to get people to to like hang out with. And so we're just going to do a block party, a block party. And so we hit, had a block party. I think it was on Memorial Day uh, in 2022. Yeah. So I started this kind of in the middle of my depression, honestly, because, I, again, I just felt like I was trying to do something. And I was pretty sure God wanted me to do this. And so I was like, hey, let's let's just start this process. So I started having block party burgers in the backyard, all that kind of thing. And what I was doing up until that point, one thing I was doing even during the depression time was I was going for regular walks. I was walking around my neighborhood like every morning for exercise and making a point to actually engage in conversation with anyone that I happened to see outside. 
which wasn't usually a whole lot of people because people don't go outside and hang out in the front yards anymore. <laughs> right. um, and so, but I did get a, a small smattering of, of people. And then a very interesting thing happened shortly before we were going to do the block party uh, was I, I caught my back fence on fire. <laughs> so, um, and that resulted in my other neighbors that touched that fence, which there were quite a few, um, us getting to know each other really fast. Basically, I had started doing fire pits and I had never really done it before, but I'd always wanted to. And I made the mistake of like the ashes had burned overnight and I thought they were out. And so I dumped them behind the shed, which is in the backyard next to the fence. And there's leaves everywhere. Didn't think anything of it. Next thing I know, I got a neighbor knocking. I'm going to, hey, you burning leaves in the backyard? No, not that I know of. Well, you might want to check. So I go back and I'm like, oh my God, my my fence base is in flames everywhere. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone had called the fire department. I tried putting out my hose. Anyway, long story short, that resulted in connecting with a lot of neighbors that I otherwise wouldn't have. And so I see that as a totally a God thing. So mm -hmm. yeah, we started having, we had a block party. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe had 10 or 15 people show up, something like that. Um, and then we just did it every month, every month. And so we would tell the people that, hey, we're doing this again. We'd invite them again. And then I started doing an email list. Um, and then uh, and so we did it every month uh, up until the cold months. And then we took a break and then we did it again. Uh, and then this year I got really smart. And because um, I was trying to figure out how do I reach all my neighbors? Because it's like they're not always outside. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm not I, I started making flyers. And I'd put them in the mailboxes that were at least by the street, but a lot of them were up by the doors. I'm like, I don't want to be that weird guy that's like putting stuff, you know, but you know, up by your door kind of thing. And I don't want to knock on doors because that's even more awkward. Yeah. And so then I, I learned <clears throat> that you can, from Zazzle, you can get custom sticky notes that are like four by six, four by six, and it's a sticky note. And so I had those printed in a flyer and I had my army of six kids literally put one on every single door in the neighborhood. <clears throat> a few weeks before a block party. And on there is a link to like our Facebook group. I started a Facebook group and my email so they can RSVP. And so basically I've got the marketing down of actually trying to reach my neighbors. I'm not planning to do direct mail or anything like that. I'm just going to do this every time. And slowly over time is what the way this works. <clears throat> slowly over time, people start coming and they'll join the Facebook group or and they'll come to one and then maybe not the next two. And then they'll come to another one. And then you got to some that start coming regular. And it's so we're basically three years into this now. We've done three seasons and we've got a, a pretty good collection of people, you know, maybe 20 or so that are coming on a regular basis. Um, but it's only monthly and it's still outside, like in the neighbor, in the backyard, burgers and stuff. And so the next phase of this, uh, which we're going to implement probably this month or next month before it gets uh, warm again is more like a brunch instead of a block party and a brunch is going to be inside it's going to be around couches around a table and it's and it's not a party it's more of an opportunity for conversation and mm -hmm. still we're not preaching we're not throwing up handing out tracks or anything like that it's it's literally just building relationships with people loving them do, you know, helping them out if they need it. It's just being, and, and what's cool is like, it's a facilitation thing. It's really just an, it's, it's providing an opportunity for lots of people to come together with at least one person in the group that knows God, that knows Jesus, so that 
God, and, and what we do is we pray that God opens their hearts and draws them to himself and say, Lord, we're here if they have any questions that you'd like us to answer. Mm-hmm. And we just talk about our story. We don't start, you know, pull out a Bible and start ripping out theology at them. Um, right. <clears throat> it's very much a, you just make friends. Yeah. You make friends with people and you hope and pray that they come to know Jesus and you get to play a part in it. But the very important intentional part of that is that you make yourself available. You, you do these block parties or these brunches or whatever it is that maybe in whatever your context might be, and you're consistent about it. And you just wait and see what happens. <clears throat> and I heard a thing early on, and I'll finish with this. I heard a thing early on in this process. I was watching a, a conference or something like that, and the guy said, when you go into this <clears throat> doing missional community, you can't think of it like a church plant. A church plant, your typical church plant needs to be self-sustaining in three years. That's kind of the goal of like church planting organizations and stuff. You get enough people coming and they're giving and all that sort of thing so that you can like continue Sunday morning services, self-sustaining, that kind of thing. And he says, in this in this missional community, go into it not expecting a single result until 10 years in. And by result, <laughs> wow. that means like a conversion. Wow. 10 years in. So go in basically with the, the mindset that like, I'm here as long as it takes. I don't ever plan on starting a church from this. I don't ever plan on certainly not taking donations or or uh, you know an offering from these people. But at these block parties, what's cool is that we're very intentional about, it's never just one directional. It's like, hey, we're gonna have some burgers. You guys bring this stuff. It's always a everyone contributes uh, kind of thing because we don't want it to feel like it's hey, we're holding a church service. It's literally just, hey, we just like to have all of our neighbors together. We thought it'd be fun. Let's get together. Like we had a chili cook-off back in November. That was a lot of fun. Um, and so, yeah, that's the process is like you just settle in and recognize, you know, we're going to be here for as long as God wants us to be here. And if he chooses to bring any people to himself through us, then we're here and available until such time. We're just going to try to love people and make ourselves available. I love it, man. It's so <clears throat> it's so cool just to hear like your story of how you got to where you are with this and the fact that you know 10 years is the signpost for converting anybody is just i mean uh it's just the commitment right just committing yeah. to doing something it also that, takes the pressure off i'll tell yeah, you that well, that like really the, does take the, the, pressure the first off. the first you know uh reaction to that is oh my gosh 10 years that's forever that's gonna take so long i'm gonna have to work so hard but then it's like no wait that's the point that there's no pressure on me to do a thing well, and what I hear too, man, is because they say when you when you master something, right? It's like ten years or ten thousand hours, and I mm-hmm. always think like there's there's so much there's so much truth in that. And so what I hear in that ten years also is well, now it's ten thousand hours, ten mm-hmm. years of learning how to talk to people, communicate, not being yeah. pushy, making friends, making real connections, actually caring about people, and doing something consistently over that period of time. So you become a real people person who loves to help people and serve people and bring people together so that's also i think in that 10 years like that's a big piece of that too is like wow this is an opportunity for me to be an expert at serving others 
and bringing them together and facilitating conversation because that's where all the magic happens. Communication exactly. is where magic happens. Yeah. It's so good, man. It's really, really good. And um, I know you had given me some resources when we talked. Uh, if people want information about how to uh, get mm. started in something like that, how do they find that stuff? Uh, the best resource that I know of that I love is called The Tangible Kingdom. The Tangible Kingdom. It's a book by Hugh Halter. And uh, there, there's certainly other resources out there. He's written several other books. But if you, that book to me is both a why do this and a how to do this. Mm. And uh, it's my favorite one. Uh, there's lots of other ones I could recommend. If everyone, if anyone ever had a conversation with me about this, I'd be happy to talk about it. I love, I love the topic. Um, but uh, yeah, The Tangible Kingdom by Hugh Halter is a great starting point for anybody. <clears throat> so I, I feel like there's so much more that I I, I want to ask you, but we got to wrap this episode up. And I do want to have you come back on for the unstuck business also, because sure. we didn't even touch on the workflow wizard and how you help yeah. people in, in businesses <laughs> uh, with their workflow, which is, I mean, I can't imagine how insanely helpful that also is. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a couple questions I wrote down here. There's one thing I guess I want to touch on before we sign off. Because you would, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out which is the best one to ask. I love the quote that you wrote. So, uh, you know, when I have somebody come on, I ask them for a quote or saying that they live by. And yours is losers make excuses, winners make choices. Yeah. And what does that mean to you in your life, right? It's, I love the story of how you got unstuck in the, the wilderness, the depression that you were in. Um, who was the loser who was making the excuses, that version of you, and the winner that makes choices? Um, oh, yeah. The, the night and day of that for you, what has that been like? Yeah, so <clears throat> I just something I live by and try to teach my kids when they're making lots of excuses why they can't do something. Um, but for me, yeah, that was a time where I was just kind of making excuses. Well, I can feel this way because I don't have a job. I can feel this way because, you know, I'm not you know, having lots of relations with my wife or, you know, all those things. It's like you can easily wallow in your circumstances and be like, and then the question, of course, is like, why don't you do something about it? If your answer is anything but, uh, well, I can and I'm going to, uh, then that's an excuse because at the end mm. of the day, you can do something. You, It's choices. I choose to melt into the carpet. Yeah. Regardless of how I feel, I can choose to go bury my face in the beanbag or watch Mission Impossible endlessly, or I can choose to do something, or I can choose to try something, or like join the, the Real Men 300 or something like that. And so it's not like I'm perfect at that all the time by any stretch of the imagination, but that's something that is that, that mantra that I really try to teach my kids is like, if you want to be anything in this world, if you want to have control over your life as opposed to being a victim. Don't mm -hmm. make excuses, make choices. Yeah, and the mantra thing was like, well, nobody's, yeah, I don't think anybody who even has that a mantra in their life lives by it at 24, 7, 365, right? But it's something that's a, a recurring theme that you come back to when you're, mm -hmm. when you're stuck in a certain place. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, I know they can go to theworkflowwiz.com. They can go on Facebook, The Workflow Wizard. Mm -hmm. Those are the best ways to get a hold of you. Uh, yeah, or you could just uh, email me, daniel at danielwhitworth.com. That's my email address, so <laughs> if that's cool. all right. Uh, all right. <clears throat> I'm open to talk to anybody. Yep. 
Awesome. All those details are also in the uh, bio for this episode, man. Thank you for your story. Thank you, Daniel. I'm so glad that we met each other and yeah, I love the story of how you've made this happen for you. I just want to thank you for being a part of the unstuck movement. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank <laughs> you.